Good evening, everyone. Um, I fell down the stairs. I, you know, every year <laughs> I managed to fall, and tonight I, um, I was, I know, right? I was getting ready um, for the show, and um, I didn't have my glasses on because I'm crazy, and um, I. Um, I missed the last two stairs going down the stairs and stepped like I was on the floor, but I wasn't. Well, I, I ended up on the floor. Um, and now I've got carpet burn on my knees. I'm fine. And um, I was standing in the kitchen and um, I was like, gosh, I haven't had carpet burn on my knees since my 20s. <laughs> There comes a point when a bitch ain't going to get on the floor. <laughs> and I reached that point around 27 or so. Nuh-uh. That's what beds are for. <laughs> Anyways, I've got carpet burn on my knees. <laughs> That's the whole point of that. Okay, um, I'm just going to get right into it. Um, the first question um, comes from um, my email. Let me get over there. Um, and Memas, uh, where is the line between encouragement and just plain entitlement from readers? What are good ways for readers to express their excitement about a story without pissing off the writer? Um, I've had a whole episodes on reader entitlement. It happens to be my biggest pet peeve in fandom. Um, even above terrible formatting. Which is like my second. Oh, I, I'll close the story if the formatting so bad. I can't. Oh, it's so annoying. Anyways, um, what I would say is that earlier up in the email, she had gotten some feedback that um, uh, pissed her off. <laughs> and honestly, if I had seen this on one of my stories, I'd have been pissed off too. I won't tell you, Mem. I'd been pissed off. You have every reason to be pissed off. I'd have been I'd have been ticked too because you're right. I know when my story's finished, and I don't know anybody to tell me otherwise. Um, what I would say is, um, it depends on the writer. There are plenty of writers who uh, want invasive and um, feedback and that's that's terrible to say it that way but I don't know how else to say it they want to be led by their reader they want to be um, pushed a certain way they ask for inspiration what should I do next and um, those kinds of writers uh, there's nothing wrong with being that kind of writer. I mean, if if that's the kind of interaction you want to have with your readers, that is perfectly okay. But the problem becomes that um, writers like this teach readers they have the right to intrude on everybody they read. And um, then we have to go through a whole training period where um, I berate them in private for trying to give me plot advice. 
So what I would say to readers um, is if you're unsure, if the writer isn't asking you directly at the bottom of her thick, hey, I have no idea where to go because I'm not a plotter. Would you please tell me what you would like to see next? Just don't do it. Just don't. Just say no. Just say thank you for your time and your efforts. I really appreciated this. You're awesome. And if it wasn't awesome, say nothing. Just say nothing. Take a word of advice from Thumper's daddy. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And... This is only on fic, because I wouldn't put that kind of limitation on you in general life, because I would never be able to say anything. I wouldn't even be able to go to the store. I have to stay in my house. I would be, like, just stuck in my house forever if I had to be quiet like that. Anyways, so, um, what I would say is that, um, as as, as regards to uh, whether or not you're being oversensitive, ma'am, um, you have every right to your feelings. And if somebody gives you feedback that ticks you off or upsets you, no one else has the right to tell you those emotions aren't valid. You you can be angry if you want to be. And it's not being oversensitive. You're just entitled to your reactions. You're entitled to feel the way you want to um, about how somebody speaks to you or how somebody um, treats you, you're just entitled to that. So don't let anybody tell you you're being oversensitive. Even if you are being oversensitive, you're entitled to it. That That's your shit, and you can think what you want, and you can feel what you want, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That's all I'm going to say about that. That's how I feel. Blog Talk just sent me an email reminder that my show was starting. Thanks, Blog Talk. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, so, first question from the page. Mm. Oh, I have no hope of um, saying your name correctly. I'm. Is that M silent? Nim a sign. I'm gonna go Nim. We're gonna go with Nim. Nim. Um, question. I apologize in advance if this has already been asked at some point and I missed it as I haven't had a chance to listen to all your podcasts. I don't blame you, um, because there are a lot of them. I had no idea how many there were. Um, there are a lot of them. And, um, so I don't blame you for not listening to me ramble on for hours on end. Okay, so the question. Um... Do you have any advice on making a strong summary? I'm flailing like a fish out of water when it comes to them, and I would prefer to get the summary set before I start the actual story. Okay, stop. Don't <laughs> don't do that to yourself. No, I don't know a single writer who actually writes a summary of their story before they write their story. In fact, most writers avoid writing a summary or a synopsis unless they're writing on spec until they have no choice. It is the last thing practically anybody I know does professionally. Um, a lot of writers 
skip it completely in fandom. So don't don't do that to yourself. You are crippling yourself before you even get out of the gate. Uh, and what I would say about summaries is that they suck. They always suck. I've never had a single summary that didn't suck. They always just just. They all suck. I I hate my I hate my summaries. They all sound cheesy and stupid. Sometimes I just want to go. You know what? Just fucking read it. Just fucking read my story. It's great. <laughs> and then leave it at that. And that's not my professional work. It's even worse on my fan fiction where I'm not actually required to make a um, summary. And often um, I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna copy and paste this piece of dialogue out of my um, out of my story because I think it sums up everything, you know. And I did that several times on short stories on my on my fan fiction. So um, stop worrying about it. Um, uh, focus on your um, your plot and your character development, and leave the summary until you're done. And I and I do mean done. I don't mean done with your first draft. I mean like completely done. When you're like, okay, I'm finished. <laughs> My story is done. And then if it's super important, then write a summary. But what you're doing is um you're um you're hobbling yourself by this um idea that you need to have a summary when you really don't. I mean, it's it's not um you're not writing a a thesis for, for high school, so you don't need a thesis statement to start your story. Uh, that's my advice. <laughs> okay. You guys need to have names that I can pronounce. I'm country. Maeri? Uh, that's what I'm going to go with. Sorry if I'm getting it wrong. Craft question for you since says what I'm working on hardest right now. How do you pull your readers into your stories and keep them there throughout it? I'd love to know how it differs for fanfic and original fic. Um, I don't know. I've been told I accomplished this, but I I don't know how I accomplished this. Um, I think that um, what you need to do in the very beginning is um, the age-old advice is always, always start in the middle. Um, and that doesn't mean like start in the middle. It just it literally means start in the middle, in the middle of the action, in the middle of the mystery. That's why a lot of times um, murder mysteries start with a body, or a suspense will start with whatever happened, whatever whatever external motivation that your characters are going to have is in the first scene. Um, when I started Unspeakable Plot, I started it in the middle of an ICW conference on the death of magic. And my readers were playing catch-up, that whole first scene. How did this happen? What happened? What are the ramifications of that? Boom, boom, boom. And when you create that kind of rhythm in the first part of your story, it 
it brings the the reader it creates excitement it, it, at least for me as a reader it creates excitement so your um your goal when you're opening up your story um whether it be fan fiction or original fiction i don't think it matters um you need to get your your reader's attention whether it be with um a body or uh whatever like oh for instance like when i wrote um the air the angels breathe it starts with Rodney dangling off a balcony because the the, the railing broke, and John um, has to reveal his mutation in the very beginning. Boom! It's there. It is, you know, and it's a it's a very you know it's an it's a, it's serious type of image where you have a character in, in mortal danger when it opens up and then oh there's mutation oh look there's wings and you know it's boom 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 the events keep popping but what happens and how you lose your reader is your events stop popping because of uh exposition or um unnecessary scenes scenes that don't further your story uh Vanity moments for a writer. I, this happens more in fan fiction than it does in original fiction because in an original fiction, um, the editor is going to say, okay, you know what? You don't actually need this scene, so it needs to go. It serves absolutely no purpose in your plot. But in fan fiction, you can go off and, you know, Introduce the cook in the mess, even though he has no purpose whatsoever in the story ever again, and you'll never see him, and you don't even give him a name, and no one's going to say anything because it's fan fiction. <laughs> but it will slow down your pace, and I'm a firm believer of that whole, you know, preach it and um, of 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 wording not word economics, uh, and there's also such a thing as scene economics, and Creating a rhythm and a pace in your story will allow you to keep your um, your reader excited. And for some readers, that's really awesome. And for others, and this is why I tell you in the very beginning that I don't know, because some readers can't handle that kind of stimulation. So they don't read suspense or they don't read science fiction and they read, you know, contemporary romances where there's not going to be a body or they read cozy mysteries where there might be a body, but there's going to be no discussion of how that body looked upon discovery beyond the fact that it's dead. <laughs> it's a dead body. <laughs> And I think um, a perfect example of um, that would be the difference between um, uh, go to Netflix if you have Netflix, go to Netflix and watch um, what's it called? Oh, Barnaby, Inspector Barnaby. Um, Summer. Mm, someone help me out in the chat room. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, the the cozy mystery series set in um, Midsummer Murders. Yes, thank you, Jeep. Um, Midsummer Murders is a cozy mystery series, and watch a couple of episodes of that. Then turn around and watch a couple of episodes of Hinterland. Hinterland, H-I-N-T-E-R-L-A-N-D, um, is not a cozy mystery, and they are on opposite ends of the spectrum, and you'll get uh you'll see 
the rhythm of the shows are and are entirely different. Where Hinterland is um not particularly graphic, but it is harsh and it moves and there's a movement in this in, in the show that is um kind of jerky and you, you're playing catch up from the moment you meet the protagonist where in midsummer you you know there, there there's humor and um you know he's um he's not bumbling he's he's very smart and he and he knows where he's going um and uh and he gets there and you can tell a lot of times Barnaby knows going into it who did it. It's like, oh fuck, now I gotta figure out how to make that work. Um and and, and do that and figure out and how to oh God. <laughs> Why <laughs> So just the the difference between the two will will show you. Um and so there will be plenty of readers who won't uh enjoy a fast pace. They they want a slow, um, more meandering read, or the exact opposite. And it also, it, this can happen in the same person. You can have a reader who one day wants a really fast-paced, in-your-face Deadpool moment, and then the next day, they want to watch Captain America, like the first one, before Steve got his serum. <laughs> You know, so there's just you know you never can tell, and I think what you have to do is um, make yourself happy first. Um, so that's what I've got to say about that. Okay, that is that's a podcast all by itself right there. So we'll be skipping that one. Um. Jilly asked, thank you for your name that actually I can say. <laughs> Please don't ever say I'm saying it wrong. I would be so upset. No spoilers for Deadpool in my chat room. I will kick your butt. Okay. Um, Jilly asked, why do you think some fandoms take off and some don't? What are the elements of a successful fandom? Why does fandom sometimes outstrip the show like the Sentinel? I'm going to say something really unpopular I think the more flawed a show is the bigger the fandom will be whether I mean the show the book the movie the more flawed it is the more the bigger the fandom will be um because when 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 fans don't get what they want from their show, they turn to fandom. Then, because if other writers aren't giving them what they want, and they can write, they start writing. Um, I think one of the reasons why uh, shows like Farscape and Babylon 5 have really small fandoms is because the canon is so satisfying that there's hard to it's hard as a writer to to get in there because you're so satisfied with 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 what you were given that it's hard to um 
imagine anything better. So with shows like The Sentinel, we didn't get what we wanted. And with shows like Stargate, um, SG-1, and with Atlantis, we didn't get what we wanted. So we turned to fandom. With movies like Inception, we got this great premise, and it wasn't centered on the character we liked the most. So, fandom, here we come. So, um... So that's what it boils down to. I think that um, when when you have a really great idea that's being presented to you, but it doesn't give you the um, the satisfaction, um, um, that's where fandom is born. Um, I think one of the reasons why the Star Trek fandom um, is so huge, it's not because the original um, show was unsatisfying. It's because they didn't get enough. It was canceled, um, it had good ratings, and people were mad, and it created this, um, uh, it brought people together with conventions, and, you know, there's, sometimes a fandom can create a sense of um, family. And I think that fandoms like um, Star Trek, uh, Supernatural, Um, Stargate creates a sense of family. Um, you, um, and Stargate is full of some of the most talented writers in fandom. Just boom, you know, they're just wow. You're like, what the hell? <laughs> Where did you come from, Astolot? <laughs> that girl is from outer space. <laughs> but see. Yeah, so that's that's where that is. I say th- I think basically the more flawed a, a story is, um, the bigger the fandom. Or, or if you don't get enough of it, if you don't get enough of it, like Star Trek or Firefly, um, you're not satisfied. It, it it gets cut off from you. It, it it gets canceled, and you're like, oh, oh my god, what am I gonna do? <laughs> you know, now I need to go to fandom. <laughs> fandom save me. <laughs> I'm lost. <laughs> and so they, you know, fandom saves you, and then you get a whole bunch of stuff. And with with Farscape, that's one of the reasons why I have no interest whatsoever in writing in Farscape because the canon was absolutely so satisfying. I don't have a I don't have a damn thing to add to that. It's just beautiful. And earlier, someone said in the um, up in the chat room that um, Babylon 5 was tight. And it was. Babylon 5 was epic. If you've not watched Babylon 5, you're missing out. You need to watch Babylon 5. It is it's fucking awesome. And the characterization is great. And the plot. And it moves. And it has a... Um, the seasons have this individuality that looks like books. Just big books, and then overall, the OR arc of the series is amazing. Cause not only you're getting like every episode's a story, and then every season is a story, and then all the seasons together are another story, and it is fucking awesome. I can't recommend Babylon Five enough. You need to watch that. You need to watch it. Watch it, and don't watch it like all cut up in syndication either. You need to go to 
fucking Amazon and, and buy that shit and bring it home and own it. Because once you've watched it, you will want to own it. And then you need to watch the movies, too. You need to watch all the movies. You need to find a super fan who can tell you the order with which you should watch the movies and the TV series. Like my husband, who has a yearly Babylon 5 marathon where he watches the movies and episodes in the order with which by which they should be watched. And you can't miss a single episode of um, Babylon 5. Stork is right. You cannot miss a single episode. Um, amazing. Amazing. Anyways. I highly recommend it. That's a whole podcast. Um, okay, Jilly, um, asks, what's your, you should try it at least once list for writers, um, a list of things every writer should consider at least attempting to help find their voice and, or broaden their horizons. Um, I think that every, you should, um, when I was, I I, I had a writing bucket list in, in my twenties and it went something like this, um, write in second person. Uh, write in first person, um, write a complete novel, uh, pants a novel, plot a novel, it kind of morphed into challenge myself, challenge myself, where am I comfortable, and then I take myself out of my comfort zone, um, like when I did um, in November when I wrote in a single POV, which is honestly not my comfort zone. Um, I don't think I excel at it either. I, I, I feel like Darkly Loyal is a little weak um, compared to other writing because of the fact that I have a single POV. Um so I would say that um, it's a lesson I've learned, and I won't be doing that shit again. <laughs> and um, uh, also, I think that you should take something that you've um, completed and rewrite it. Well, thank you, Sorka. Um, outside perspectives. Now, Sorka said in the chat room that she thought I did quite well. Um, outside perspectives. Um, when when you look at the work, you see it, and you have no expectations beyond what I've given you. But when I look at it, and I look at my plot, and I look at my character arcs, and I look at my internal plot and my external plot, I feel like I failed. Because I know what should be there, and it's not there. There's a depth missing in that story that I see, because I plotted it to be there, and it's not. And so, um, from an outside perspective, because you don't know what you don't know what's missing as far as like my plot goes and, and what I intended for my characters, so you don't see the flaws that I see. And and that's just um <laughs> rough draft. Yes, it's a very rough draft. It's it's gonna end up being five hundred thousand fucking words. Anyways, because um, <clears throat> I've already got like 40 scenes to add to that thing. It's it's ridiculous, but 
I digress. Um, so I think that if um, always, always um, uh, take yourself out of your comfort zone at least once a year. Um, I think you should read a book on craft every year. Uh, I do. Sometimes it's the same book. Sometimes I, I I read a book I read 10 years ago or I read a book I bought yesterday. It just depends. But I, I, I do like to read a, a, at least one book on craft every year. And I don't like to take notes on it. It's it's, it's more of a an absorption um, learning where um, I read through the techniques that uh, the other writers use and kind of mentally adapt them to um, to suit my own process because my process um, isn't going to work for you any more than your process is going to work for me. And I think that um, when you first start out, you need to um, you copy other people's processes un- until you find what works for you. Does you know? And 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 then you can move on and and do whatever um, helps you most. Okay. Lady Holder says, when it comes to combining fandoms, what criteria do you use? Some fandoms seem to go together in a logical manner, and what do you do with more oddball pairings? I don't do this well. I don't think I do this well. Um, I tend to... um, See, the thing is, like, she has examples of um, um, CSI and CIS and Criminal Minds. They're all cop shows. And NCIS and Hawaii Five-0. Well, technically, NCIS and Hawaii Five-0 are in the same world. Because uh, NCIS LA crossed over with Hawaii Five-0. So all of that's already, they already exist in the whole world. Um in the same world, just like Jag, it's it's already there, and you can speculate that Criminal Minds is there too. You, you can speculate that because of where Criminal Minds is is located. Um, um, I my third pet peeve in fandom is clicking on a story and finding a story crossed over with twenty five fandoms. Come on, people. Seriously, what am I supposed to do with that? And God help me if one of them is fucking Lord of the Rings. Because I can't keep up with all their names. They all look the same. You did. (laughs) They all do look the fucking same. I had to keep a chart with all the dwarves' name on it, and oh, the Hobbit! Please don't mix the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, and then like put them in a modern AU with Sherlock and fucking Doctor. Who. What? No, I can't keep up with that shit. <coughs> <coughs> but Lady Holdred, you did do it very well. She did cross over a whole bunch of fandoms, but you kept a central focus on the Stargate fandom, so. Even characters that came from other fandoms, um, they could be read like original characters. I didn't need to know who they were beyond what you told me about them. And I think that's super important when you're writing um, lots 
of lots, lots of fandoms into a story is that you can't depend on your reader to be in all of those fucking fandoms and to know automatically who all these people are. So, you know, because what? It would be just like, I don't even, I don't even know. I mean, there's the two blonde dudes in Lord of the Rings and one is like, the horse prince, and one almost gets set on fire, and then, <laughs> I just, I can't, I can't keep up with that shit, I really cannot keep up with all the names, why do they all have to look the fucking same, it, it just, come on, come on, work with me here, work with me, I know, I, I know you know their names, Lady Holder, but come on, the rest of us, it, the two blonde dudes. One looks really good on a horse. Then there was that one blonde dude who died. <laughs> and then there's the blonde dude that almost died because his daddy almost set him on fire. And I'll tell you right now, the only names that I know for certain in The Lord of the Rings, and I've watched those movies a couple of times, are the Hobbits. I know the Hobbits' names. The rest, it's iffy. Unless they're Orlando or Bloom. I mean, come on. Anyways, just, I think that what you have to do is have focus. Focus, focus, focus. And you need to have a central fandom on which you focus. Like um, when Lady Holder did her crossover, she focused on Stargate. And when Jane, when Jilly did her crossover, it was um, a focus on um, NCIS with, um, you know, other fandoms coming in around it, but they weren't overwhelming it they weren't you weren't she wasn't throwing all these characters in the reader's face and assuming they would know who they were and i think that's what you need to concentrate on when you're um combining fandoms um but really my personal rule of thumb is to not combine more than three fandoms more than three in in the same story come on now come on I'm going to go up because um, some of these are full podcasts. Okay. Wimba asked, what's your favorite writing software? Do you use Word, OneNote, Scrivener, etc.? Are there things that one type does better or worse than others? I write in Microsoft Word. Um, that's the industry standard for professional writing, and um, if you want to do that, you need to get that software because it's going to make it more easy, easier for you to do formatting that your publisher expects, um, editing, which a lot of publishers do digital editing now, and you're going to have to learn how to use track changes, so um, Microsoft Word is definitely the way to go. I like OneNote. Um, I don't like Scrivener. I have Scrivener. I just don't like it. I, I, I've i tried to use it, and it's a bleh. I just don't like it. I don't, but, but, but I do like OneNote for the notebooks, and I can organize characters, and, you know, I, I, I really enjoy OneNote. Um, but my best writing tool is an ink pen and a notebook <laughs> because I can take that in my purse. I drop it in my purse, and I go out my day, and, you know, I have it when I want it. I can take it out, and it does take a lot of room on the table. And um, I have a tablet, and um, I have a keyboard for my tablet, and I have a laptop, Um but at the end of the day, um, paper and pen is my best tool. 
it, it really is. Uh, I plot almost entirely on paper still, even after all these years. Um, I have notebooks. I have piles, piles of notebooks. Um, and 30 years. I have 30 years of notebooks where I've plotted and plotted and plotted and and, and worked through this and worked through that. Just, just because that's just the way... Um, It's it's a very organic process for me, so I really appreciate the, the whole paper thing. Um, <clears throat> but I think that you have to do what's comfortable to you. I have a friend who um, cannot plot on paper. She can't do anything on paper. Uh, <clears throat> but then, you know, I think she was born the year the Mac was invented. So, <laughs> you know, by the time she got to school... Um, they didn't even have typing classes. They had keyboarding classes. So it's just, it's it's what you get used to and it's how you work. And I think that um, you should just do what's comfortable for you. Um, beyond that whole Microsoft Word thing, which I definitely recommend, you, you definitely need to get that at, at some point if you want to write professionally, just from a technical point of view. Um, just... I do what's comfortable and what, because sometimes if you try to force yourself to do something a new way, it just totally like ruins your whole, your whole deal. It just ruins the whole thing and you don't want to have anything to do with it. So, um, I've never used liquid binders, so I don't have an opinion about that. Um, but there was a whole big topic on, um, technology and software um, on Rough Trade, I believe, um, in the Facebook group. So, for those of you who are interested in that. Shut up, Facebook. Oh. Um. Stupid website. <sighs> okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not answering that question ever. <laughs> it's not, probably not remotely entertaining to you guys at all. Uh, Boom Mom, <laughs> what a cute, what a cute name. Or is it Boom Mom? I'm gonna go with Boom Mom because I think that's cuter. Um, it, sorry if it's not how you want to say that. Um. How do you fit so much information into a shorter story? In Lanty and Legacy, you wrote such an awesome story with more information and more character growth than I've seen in 200K. What advice would you give to a newish writer to make their story so tight and concise that the reader thinks it's longer than it actually is? Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, Lanty and Legacy was um, a labor of love for not only myself, but Lady Holder and Chris King. We we, we worked our ass off on that story. Um Let's not discuss the sequels tonight. Let's just not go there. Um, what I would say about Lantian Legacy, and one of the reasons why it's so tight, is that there is absolutely not a single word in Lantian Legacy that does not serve a purpose. Every scene, every piece of dialogue, every single sentence in Lantian Legacy serves my plot. There is absolutely no vanity in that story. Um, the only thing I think is a little less tight 
are the sex scenes because I added them after the fact because Chris asked for sex scenes. So I was like, you know, going through that final draft and there were like her final beta and they were like, oh, we need a blowjob here. <laughs> Can there be some sex here? Why is why is there no sex in the story? Where's the sex? <laughs> so, but um, Lantia Legacy is that type because there is absolutely, you know, beyond um, the gratuitous sex, there's nothing in that story that is not moving the plot or the characters towards my end. Every single bit of it has purpose. And I don't recommend a newish writer try that. I think that um, this is also one of those things that you should try eventually to do, but it's not something that I would suggest to a new writer coming out of the gate trying to write that tight because it can make you um it can be a very frustrating experience and you uh and also if you like go back over it and do you know big cuts out of your story to make it tighter um it can be demoralizing so i think this is a skill that you develop over time and it shouldn't be one that you um um, try to uh, try to accomplish first because um, it can it can cr- kind of create like a a prison, so to speak. Because um, one of the freedoms that um, I enjoy as a writer is um, exploring and and trying new concepts and seeing if this works and seeing how that works and see how I feel about this and what do I think of this and how am I going to work on this one and you know over and over again, you know, and, um, but, um, so Lantian Legacy was, um, an experience, um, and an experiment for me because, um, I had never written that tight in fandom. Um, but fandom, I just kind of like, I'm just vain as fuck. I just, just write whatever the hell I want. Oh, come on. Let's just have some killing here. There's a dead body. Yay, yay, yay. And I just go off the rails in, in fandom. But with Lantian Legacy, I kind of, sucked all that in and um and it got really really tight but again that isn't something that i suggest for a newish writer coming out of the gate it's it's something that you learn over time and um but when you're ready to go there you just you can't add a single thing that doesn't serve your plot and i don't think that's something you can pants you have to plot chapters. You have to plot your scenes, scene by scene. Chapter one has five scenes. Scene one, this is what happens in scene one. Scene two, this is what happens in scene two. Scene three, scene four, scene five. Chapter two has six scenes. But and that's also a good thing to keep in mind that you need to um, to create pace and rhythm in your story. Some chapters will have three scenes. Some chapters will have six scenes. Some chapters will have one scene. Some chapters will have, you know, just kind of vary that up because that creates pace and it can slow and move your reader through your story. Even though they don't recognize that, their brain is going to be processing that um, that information for you. And it creates um, momentum. And I think one of the reasons why Lantian Legacy seems so much longer than it actually is um, is because of that pacing 
that I did in Lantan Legacy where there's short scenes and long scenes and short chapters and long chapters and the scene variants, you know, all through it. There's there's movement all through it. And you can't see me, but I'm like totally waving my hands around like you can see my hands moving. Like I'm doing a little wave thing. Um <laughs> Um, that's what I would say about that is that that's just something that um, you have to plot and um, and you have to be really mercenary with yourself and with your story. So that's what I would say about that. And I'm having a problem because I'm answering all these questions and I'm adding the link to this podcast on each question on my WordPress, but my WordPress keeps telling me, you've already made this identical comment, so I'm having to, like, put spaces and shit to to, to make it accept my comments. Asshole. I'm the, I'm the admin. I'm in charge. I should be able to fucking ask... I could, should be able to do a hundred like comments. The same one. This is my shit. Anyways. That's a whole podcast. Um, Desert Poet asks... How, what are your tips for improving your dialogue, my dialogue skills? Okay, um, one, you need to develop some spy skills. You need to be able to sit in public and listen to other people talk without them knowing you're listening. Because the best way to figure out how your characters talk and how they should speak and the rhythm of their language and how they move through a sentence is to listen to real people talking. And listen to not just the words they're saying, but how they say them, how they arrange their sentences, how they emphasize words, um, their word choices. And this is super important for creating a real character, a character that seems feels real in your story, in that the dialogue is um, is active and it's moving and. Um, it's living. It's living dialogue. Um, another thing I would suggest is um, to read your dialogue out loud. And if you stumble over reading it, I mean, out loud, if you stumble saying it, then you've got a problem. If you can't say your dialogue as smoothly as you think your character is saying it, then you've gone awkward and you need to take a step back and just kind of verbalize the sentence over and over again until it feels natural to you. Um, moving things around, rearranging words, you know, rearranging punctuation like do I pause here or why am I pausing here is is this an ellipse or is this a comma what am I doing here why, why is this pause is this I need to stop is, is this my character stopping um but one of the things that I learned early on is if I'm tripping saying dialogue then I'm going to trip reading dialogue so the smoother your dialogue is to say the smoother it will be to read and listen to people talk not everybody talks the same. And figuring out how your characters speak and their vocabulary and the words they use every day and the you know, the things that they um we all have verbal um crutches. Uh yeah, and verbal ticks. And um you know, like, for instance, me and my mother can have an entire conversation with two words. Or three, where I'll say, no, and she'll say, I know. <laughs> and that's a whole conversation. 
I know. <laughs> and it's because experience and um, families and groups like Sorka just said in the chat room um, share verbal ticks and um, create um, a shorthand. Uh, and um, it's just that's something that you need to learn for your character. Um, your characters will use um, fragments. Um, you're not going to have people in in general don't talk in such a way where they're they're actually like mentally assigning punctuation to their words as they're speaking. So they're not creating a sentences in their head full form. So um, that's one of the reasons why I think sometimes uh, language and dialogue can be awkward is that um, you're um, treating dialogue like you would um, a, a regular paragraph, and it needs to be. Um, a little looser. Unless they're a robot or a Vulcan. You know? <laughs> like one of the things I did with the Vulcans in Tangled Destinies is that um, I, I made sure that they didn't use contractions. And um, I also um, gave them contractions in moments of stress. To emphasize, it's like a little tick. Spock has it more than Sarek, where if he gets upset or he gets flustered, that he'll use a contraction because of his mother's influence. Anyways, I have no hope of saying your username. It starts with a Z. I'm gonna call you Tivo. I, sorry, I, I just, like I said earlier, I'm country. Um, first question: Do you have rituals or routines to restrain yourself from using all the tropes in a story? No, I do not. One of the things I really enjoy about fandom is I can throw every fucking cliche and trope into a story that I possibly can. Because that's my freedom. That's my hobby. That's what I'm going to do. There's going to be a Lord Harry. And there's going to be some fucking shopping. And <laughs> maybe Hedwick will be a fucking phoenix by the end of this. I mean, just because. And there's Dobby. And maybe, maybe a trunk. <laughs> Whatever I feel like is going in there. Because this is for my enjoyment and my fun. And um, some of the... Some of the best reasons to write in fandom is so that you can have fun with all those crazy-ass tropes. Uh, Soulmates, I I fucking love it. I I love all of it, and I'm going to do it until the end of time. Um, Second question. Are there fandoms that you don't touch even though you completely love them for one reason or another? Yes. I will probably... I am 99.9% certain that I would never write Farscape. And I'm 100% certain, I'm 110% certain that I would never write Babylon 5. Um, Babylon 5's canon is very intimidating, so that's why I wouldn't write that. And I wouldn't write Farscape, because I think Farscape is perfect. And I had nothing to add to that. I have nothing to add to to Farscape, because it's perfect. And if you don't uh, agree with me, that's because you haven't watched Farscape or you didn't watch Farscape correctly. So go back and watch Farscape again if you don't agree, because something is wrong with you. You you had a bad TV um, experience, and you need to correct that shit. 
I'm I'm serious. Something happened. It was terrible. Because Sparscape was perfect. Okay. Um. <coughs> Chat hernia? Uh, her, hernia? I'm, I'm fucking that up. I'm sorry. Chat ass. Um, hi, I tried to scroll through all the questions, but I gave up about halfway through. I don't blame you. There are a lot. Um, so I'm not 100% sure this question hasn't come up before. In your Harry Potter work, she frequently mentioned the International Protective of Magic, the World Court of Magic, the ICW, but I haven't found any cl- clear explanation of these of what these do or are responsible for, who works there, blah, 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 yeah. How they interact with magical governments, what is a war mage, what is a hit wizard, exactly. Um, I pattern, uh, for me, the World Court of Magic is basically like the World Court at The Hague. Um, the International Protection the Protectorate of Magic is completely made up, and I don't know what they do, actually. Um, uh, they just, I don't know what they do. Um... <laughs> something I stick in there when I need an organization that's not the British Ministry of Magic. (laughs) And I really have never put any effort into defining their purpose or or, or what they do. Um, The ICW was created um, by J.K. Rowling as the International Confederation of Wizards, uh, which is an organization that J.K. Rowling created. Um, how I would differentiate between a war mage and a hit wizard is I consider a war mage kind of like an agent of like Interpol. And I guess that's probably what the world of practical magic is for me. It's like Interpol. It's like a magical Interpol. Um, whereas a hit wizard, I think in the magical world, at least in my head canon, um, that sometimes magical people are so much of a threat that the only option is to put them down. And I I think hit wizards are exactly that. They are assassins. And they go into a situation with the intent to put someone down to protect the um, integrity of the secret, the big secret, that, that magic doesn't exist. That's the secret, that magic um, doesn't exist for muggles. And to protect magic and to protect magical people, um, hit wizards... Um, exist and their purpose is to keep the secret and to make sure no one fucks with that which makes me wonder the hit wizard actually i think is is that a canon term or is that a fanon term i don't know someone help me out i don't know why a hit wizard didn't come to britain and pop a cap in voldemort's ass Because it wasn't like he was like a dart load. He, okay, apparently Hit Wizard is in fact a canon term. Okay, I don't know why Hit Wizard didn't come to Britain and pop a can, just pop a cap in his ass. Because it isn't like he was like Dart Lord overnight. It didn't happen instantly. He was, he was an asshole for quite a long time before shit came to a head. So why didn't, I just don't get it. Author hand wave of destiny. Hit wizards apparently serve no real purpose in J.K. Rowling's world. Because, <coughs> well, then there wouldn't be a story because if Voldemort had been killed by a hit wizard, I'm just saying, you know. So, um, I just make shit up as I go along. 
that's my answer to that question. I apologize. <laughs> Hermia, I hope I'm saying that right. I promise that I'm not. It's not on purpose. Um, <clears throat> asked, uh, first, first, she says, first off, I love your thick. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I suppose I want to ask what currently inspires you thick-wise at the moment. I've seen that you've been writing in the Harry Potter... G- <coughs> Sorry. I need to get a, get a little tea. Genre. A lot more of like... What is it about this fandom that has caught your gaze? Um, lately, it's Daniel Radcliffe's beard. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I was like, wow, look at you. You turned into a man. What am I going to do with this? <laughs> but um, I I like the possibilities of magic. And I, and I like playing with rituals and exploring that. And um, um, I like the characterization. Um, I, I like um, the character of Hermione. And I, I like writing um, a female character in, in, in a place of strength and... Um, and just all of that. And so that's really what that boils down to is just that I wrote so much slash um it was male character, male character, male character every fucking day. There was so much men everywhere. And then I was like, you know what? I wanna write a girl. So I looked around. This is also why I turned Bilbo into a girl in the Hobbit fandom. Um and there weren't any girls really in Stargate that I wanted to write. And I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to go write Hermione. <laughs> and then my husband found, helped me rescue all my Harry Potter fic from when I was young. And I was like, oh, look. And it just kind of like, I don't know, I just kind of fell in love with it all over again. So that that's what that boils down to. It's, 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 no, it's no less or more complicated than that. It's just, um, I don't. I think it's important to um, <clears throat> enjoy yourself when when you're writing in fandom. And right now, Harry Potter makes me happy. Yeah, I like time turners and time travel, and I just it just Harry Potter makes me happy. Herma asks also. Um, I'm so pressed for time at the moment. I literally disappear off the face of the planet at times. How do you make time for your writing, especially in very b- busy periods of life? Um, experience. I've I've learned um, over the years that if I don't give myself time to write, um, I get very unhappy, very unhappy. Um, so if I have to choose between, you know, vacuuming the floor or writing, I'm going to be writing because fuck that vacuum cleaner. I don't care. Um, just because it's just you know it's just. You got to give yourself time. You have to give yourself permission to not wash the dishes or to get maybe an hour or less of sleep. I mean, that's just, and then if you can't, if your schedule is so packed. Um, for me, because writing is such a fundamental part of who I am, um, it's, it's just, I get really super unhappy. So I work, I work really hard to make sure that I give myself time, you know, to, to I give myself permission to be happy. And you'd be amazed 
what happens when you do that. I'm just, you know, that's what that is. And um, sometimes life is really, really, really super hard, and you don't get that opportunity, and it sucks. It just it sucks so much ass. Um, but take those moments when you can and just take them and, and do whatever with them that makes you happy, whether it's writing or whether it's reading or, you know, whether it's playing farm town. Um, I'm just saying. <laughs> whatever makes you happy. I think you um, you need to – you only live once, as these kids are prone to say. Jilly asks, I can't believe you put this on my wall. And I can't believe I I actually approved it. American buttercreams are one of the meringues, if the latter Italian or Swiss. And if you say none of the above and you prefer custard-based buttercream, I'm staging an intervention. Well, you don't need to stage an intervention because I think custard-based buttercream is a crime against nature. I don't like meringues. I am an American buttercream across the board. I I have a real problem... um, with the raw egg, the, the, the egg whites. Uh, I know the lemon, you know, if you do the lemon juice, it's, it's probably cooked. But I end up giving a lot of stuff, you know, cakes and cupcakes to my um, nieces and nephews. And um, they're just entirely too young to be consuming um, egg whites in any form like that. That's, that's not been cooked. Um, that's not been heated. You know, it's just not appropriate for, for little kids. And so I always, always do an American buttercream. Um, because what's wrong with powdered sugar and butter? Nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing. Nothing wrong with it. It's even better when you put a little cream cheese in it. Did you want to say hi? <laughs> hi. <laughs> Good night. I don't know if you guys heard that or not. Um, I really do enjoy a cream cheese. I love cream cheese. I fucking love cream cheese frosting. Um, and um, but no, I don't appreciate any of the meringues. I don't. Um, I wouldn't make them um to feed um anybody else either because you never know what somebody's going to be able to take or not. And it's not just little kids you need to worry about. So I have a real problem with the meringues. <laughs> Apparently, I do have an opinion about every fucking thing. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> okay. Marigold, thank you for your name that I can pronounce. I appreciate that. I've been talking with several fellow writers about starting a writer's group. What things should we consider in forming our group? Should we set down rules and expectations? Is there any process, approach, or structure within a writer's group that you'd recommend using or alternately avoiding? Other writer's groups that I have tried to participate in before have fallen apart in the first few meetings to people not showing up, not bringing writing. Do you have any thoughts about how to get more participation in a writer's group? I think the more you structure a writer's group, the more the writers in it will rebel. (laughs) It's just our nature. (laughs) It's just our nature to be contrary. I I, I really believe that. I I tend to have like, um, I have a, 
an, an informal writing group, whereas basically we all get together and drink too much coffee and write in silence. And that's our writing group. And sometimes we trade projects to, um, you know, alpha read for each other. Um, but I don't beta for writers that I know um, personally, like in my life. They're, I just see them in their face. I don't beta for those people. But I will alpha read. Um, yes, Lady Holder and I are a writing group. <laughs> just me and her. <laughs> but what I would say, because um, sometimes we do call each other or Skype each other and we'll be writing in, in silence. And it's just comforting. I don't know. I, I, I can't explain it. I, it's, just, it's just really comforting. Um, I think that uh, that having a formal writing group is the most frustrating experience I ever had in my life, and I do not recommend it. Because, um, <coughs> you know, you get disappointed, and then you get mad, and people don't show up, and they don't bring their fucking writing, or they bring something you don't want to read. Oh. Which is the worst, because then you feel like you have to read it. Then it's like this graphic murder, and you don't want to read. I'm just saying. Um, I'm too old for that shit. Sorry. (laughs) Um, I think that um, you... I highly recommend finding a group that's already established and joining them. Um, because it is stressful as fuck to run one of those groups. And it's it's counterintuitive in, to um, productivity. And I just do not um, recommend it. And that's, that's all i got to say about that. Without being rude to people that won't be listening to this podcast, but I've had some terrible experiences with writing groups um, that make me, that made me want to kill people that I actually know um, in person and like up close and, you know, like in their face with a knife. So put a lawyer on retainer before you start a writing group. That's, that's all I got to say. Put a lawyer on retainer. Elspeth had a couple of questions. Let's see. That's a whole that's a whole podcast. Let's go up to your next one. At what point should you consider writing original fiction over fan fiction? I have been plotting several series and come to realize my later sequels bear little semblance to the original content. Maybe a few canon characters in the background and I'm okay with that. I'm eager to write these series because they will be super fun. I'm just curious as to what you consider the line to be fan fiction versus original fiction. I have a very thick, bold, um, mile-wide line between fan fiction and original fiction. I, um, I don't believe the two should ever meet. If you got your inspiration from somebody else's work... It's fan fiction. And getting it published and making money off of it is rude as fuck. It's so rude. And I don't, you know, I don't mean like that whole, you know, the Cinderella concept or, you know, just concepts in general. I mean like, you know, scrubbing off the serial numbers and changing the names and calling it original fic when it was actually a Stargate 
story originally, and um, then it got turned into an AU where they're all on Earth and nobody mentions Stargate. And then you change the names and go, oh, you know what? Um, I think I'm going to sell this. I think that's rude as fuck. Don't do shit like that. That's just rude. I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> point out anything else. It's just rude. I think it's rude. I just, you know, um, if you want to write original fic, sit down and create your own world. But if you're using somebody else's world, if you're using their their foundation, it's not original. It really is not original. Um, so you just need to start over at the very beginning if you're going to do stuff like that. But that's just my opinion. Um, and I'm sure there are other people who don't agree with it, and that's perfectly fine. That's just how I feel about it. Um... Sybil asked, if Stargate Atlantis had had a sixth season, what would you have liked to have seen happen? I'm going to answer this question two ways. One, I'm going to tell you how it would have gone down, and then I'm going to tell you how I wished it would have gone down. It would have been terrible. It would have been just more of what we got in season five, which was fucking nerd boy fan service to fucking... They probably would have killed Taylor's man so John could hook up with her, which is just creepy as fuck. I'm I'm sorry, it's just creepy because Taylor treats him like a kid. Like, she's the mom of, of that group, and it's really creepy. Um, I don't think they would have killed Shepard. I, I don't know. Um... But it would have been it would have been a really frustrating experience. But I'm I'm really mad that we didn't get it. <laughs> At the same time, <laughs> I'm really pissed off we didn't get our terrible sixth season. <laughs> I'm so mad. So what would I have liked to have happened? Well, in the season opener of season six, I would like Jennifer Keller to have died in a gate accident. Whoops. And then John could have comforted Rodney. <laughs> With manly hugs and then eventually his dick. <laughs> that would have made me happy. I would have appreciated that. And I am entirely certain that there is a um, a fan in, in France who totally agrees with me, Marley. <laughs> I know you're probably not listening, but I know you totally agree that that's what, that's what should have happened. That's totally what should have happened. Um, Carson would have been the doctor again and... I liked Woolsey as the leader, so he can stay. And they all went back to Pegasus, and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> it's just, it's just fucking terrible. It's just literally fucking terrible. I. <sighs> so that's what I think. That's what I think. Would have totally happened. In my world. <laughs> Barbara says in the chat room, I heard Joe say he treated David like his spouse the entire last season. That is exactly how that should have happened. Okay. Sybil asks, if you could choose one of your OC to be a canon character, who would you choose? That is such a question. Oh, my gosh. Because it depends on the fandom. Can I answer it for several fandoms? I'm going to answer it for several fandoms. Um... For Stargate, there is no question. It would be Matt Shepard. Um, Matt Shepard. All day long. 
um, would be the character that I would make canon because come on, um, I love some Matt Shepard. I, I really do. Um, if it was going to be um, Harry Potter, I think that my choice. Um, God, that's so hard because I love I love so many of my OC characters that I've that I've created um, for Harry Potter. Um, I'm gonna have to go with Thaddeus Banner. I, I there's there's something about Thaddeus's character that is um, that is. Um, Honest and honorable and true. <laughs> Kaz picked Francis. <laughs> um, but and of course, if Thaddeus was real, then Piper would have to be real too because um, they they go hand in hand. Um, Rowane says Zale. I I really like Zale. I I I love the character of Zale. I, I love to write him, but um, there is an integrity about Thaddeus that is honestly missing from the vast majority of characters in Harry Potter. <laughs> that series needs some fucking honorable behavior. And I think that if Thaddeus had been there, he'd have been, you know, you know what, no, fuck this shit. This kid's not going back to this house and living in a prison all summer. That That's that's not going to happen. This is not what's going to happen. Um, and, and fuck you, Dumbledore, for thinking so. Um, so, yeah, so my choice would be Thaddeus for um, Harry Potter. Um... But I do love my character of Frances um, in um, Darkly Lowell. She's she's terribly funny. Um, uh, I kind of modeled her after one of my nieces who um, is just me, but she's seven. Does that count as a self-insert? <laughs> she's such a smartass. She's so terrible. And um, she... Uh, fucking hilarious she's a really funny kid and um <clears throat> so yeah Frances is mauled after my youngest niece and um she's just really funny and um serious and like she she has that demeanor about her that you know you know she's talking shit but she's being so sincere about it that you hesitate. And you're like, um, kid, are you fucking with me? <laughs> and you don't know for sure because she is like dead serious. And then she'll kind of turn her head and grin and walk away because she knows she's got you. She's got you. And that's my niece. Um, and so Francis is kind of mauled after her um, just for the pure hell of it because why not? Anyways, but I would definitely pick um, Thaddeus Banner and Harry Potter, um, and with him, of course, his wife. Why the hell not? Uh, <laughs> but I just I think that there's a there's a big hole in Harry Potter that Thaddeus could fill. That's just I don't know. It's really irritating how. People don't ask questions. How adults don't ask questions. Uh, oh, Harry, you know, why are your clothes so big? Or Harry, why haven't you gotten new shoes since I met you? 
Oh, hey, Harry, why don't you have... Are, are those the same glasses you wore first year? Uh, Harry, why had we have to send 3,000 letters to your house to get you to respond? And why did he have to rescue you from, you from a hut on the island? And why were there bars on your window, Harry? <laughs> no one asked these questions. No one asked these questions. It's really annoying. I... I'm just saying, it's really annoying. That that's all I got. <laughs> Somebody needs to ask some fucking questions in Harry Potter, and I do believe Thaddeus would be the one to ask those questions. And it, yeah, okay. Um. Quartz asks, what makes a sentinel an alpha sentinel prime versus an alpha sentinel? Is it due to the strength of their gifts or does it affect the area they control? In my headcanon, it depends on which particular verse you're in. In um, the Sentinels of Atlantis verse, an alpha sentinel prime has an extra sense. Um, John is a prime and Andy is a prime because not only do they have the advanced senses of other sentinels and they're really strong sentinels, they're already an alpha sentinel, but the prime part comes in because they have um, empathy, like a guide. So they're an alpha sentinel prime. Now, in my Alpha Chronicles, sentinels that have um, an extra sense, um, whether it be um, empathy or um, a um, a sixth sense regard, you know, as far as like paranormal activity or whatever, um, they're an alpha ascendant, and that and those skills only come to alphas. Um, so and um, but in so so yeah, that's the difference. Um, as far as that goes. And an Alpha Sentinel Prime um, is just... Uh, in the Alpha Chronicles, an Alpha Sentinel Prime is a political position. It is the strongest Alpha in a region, and they normally have um, um, prides that are run by other Sentinels under them. And a good example of that would be in The Awakening, where Jim is an Alpha Sentinel Prime. Because not only does he have his own pride, but he is the Alpha Sentinel of the entire um, Pacific Northwest, because he is the strongest Sentinel in that region. So he is the leader of the entire um, region as far as Sentinels go. So it depends on the verse. Um, in SOA, it's a skill thing. In um, the Alpha Chronicles, it's a political position. I hope that sums that up. Or maybe it just got more confusing. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, Cass. Harry, why did your aunt, she says in the chat room, Harry, why did your aunt and uncle make you sleep on the cold floor in that hut and then point a shotgun at me? <laughs> These are questions that somebody should have been asking in Harry Potter. I'm just saying, the, the, there were questions. I had questions. 
And there was nobody else in Harry Potter asking these questions. It was really fucking annoying. I'm out of questions. That's not true. That's, that's not true. I have a whole bunch. I have a whole bunch of questions on my page, but um, they would be like a whole show or a part of a show. And also, my knees kind of hurt from the rug burn. So I think I'm about done for the evening. Um. Unless you guys have any questions in the chat room for me and not for Harry Potter because Harry's not here to answer your questions. I too want to know why no one wanted to know why his letter was addressed to the cupboard under the stairs. Who was writing these? Was it automatic? Was it the house elves? Who wrote these? Come on now, who 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 wrote these letters? Is it some asshole in the ministry sending these letters out? What shows am I currently watching? I am currently binge watching um Crossing Lines on Netflix cuz a new season dropped. Um let's see. And then when I'm not watching that, I'm watching Murder Point on on murder porn, porn on investigation discovery. And as a matter of fact, Sybil, yes, I am eating an apple. It's a honey crisp. I regret nothing. <laughs> um, um, I'm not watching London Spy, but I think I want to. Um, I just haven't yet. Um, I'm watching Criminal Minds, I'm watching um, Major Crime, and I have a big old girl crush on Taylor Oni, so I'm watching the hell out of Madam Secretary. I fucking love that show. They're, 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 they're probably going to cancel it to spite me. That's just how that goes. And then Major Crime is so cute. Rusty's got a boyfriend now. It's adorable. It's so cute. Anyways, me and my mom were watching it, and she went, aww. Because <laughs> Rusty's got a boyfriend. For those of you who watch Major Crimes, that makes sense. For those of you who doesn't, it doesn't make any sense at all. But anyway, it's really adorable. Um that's really about it because I don't trust TV anymore. I'm I'm having a hard time investing in new shows because they're just gonna fuck me over and cancel it. So so why should I bother watching it at all? Um, I don't watch Walking Dead because zombies freak me out. Um, I do know who the character of Daryl is. Um. Kaz asked in the chat room, I don't know if you watch Walking Dead, but I recently discovered the crossover pairing of Harry and Daryl. Would the pretty of them ever entice you to read that pairing? No. Because like I said, zombies freak me out. <laughs> I just... No. <laughs> zombies are really creepy. I, I, just, 
I can't handle zombies. I I've, I don't watch Walking Dead for that very reason. Um, I want to see Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, but again, the, the zombies freak me out. I'm sensitive sometimes to certain things like zombies. I am watching Lucifer, but I'm watching it on Hulu, and I totally agree with you, Sorka. They're probably going to cancel it. Um, but I really enjoyed the two episodes that I've watched so far. I need to go over and see if there's any new ones. Um, well, Cass says she has no problem with them with zombies because she dreams about them a lot. That's probably because you watch Walking Dead and read Harry Daryl fan um fan fiction. Maybe you should give that a break and maybe the zombies will stop invading your dreams. I'm just saying. But I do think that they probably will cancel Lucifer, which is a shame because it's great. I, I really enjoy it. It's very funny. I like how he just tells everybody he's the devil. He doesn't even pretend he's not. And they're like, okay, so what's your real name? He's like, no, really. <laughs> I'm the devil. <laughs> it's so funny. He doesn't even... That's the best part, is that he literally does not make any... Um, he doesn't He doesn't try to hide it at all that he's the devil. He introduces himself as Lucifer, as the devil... And even, like, says, yeah, really, the devil. <laughs> I'm the devil. And no one's like, um, okay. And they treat him like he's crazy. <laughs> and then he shows them. That one dude's never going to be right again. <laughs> for having seen the devil for real but no it's just it's really funny that he's not even pretending to hide it like to 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 be normal to not be um um just the devil and it's really great when he introduces himself as the devil and he's in therapy and can I say that relationship is so wrong it is so wrong I highly recommend you watch Lucifer um, if you can get past all the blasphemy and you know all that stuff, it's it's really, um, it's really funny and sarcastic and um, he's terrible, but it's great at the same time. It's just it's really really fun. He literally calls himself Lucifer Morningstar. That's his idea. It's like I, <laughs> it couldn't be better. It really could not. <laughs> Angel comes down. He gives the angel the finger. He's just like, "Fuck it, I'm I'm retired." <laughs> Anyways, I highly recommend Lucifer if you can handle the blasphemy and the general devilry of of, of what is going on. Um, but I think I'm gonna go now because I'm starting to cough because I've talked too much. I can't believe I talked for a whole hour and a half. Um, and my knees. I need to put some lotion on my knees. I'm gonna have to. I can't wear like I have to wear pants, no capris, no shorts, because if somebody sees my rug burn, I'm gonna have. I just can't have those kinds of questions. I'm too old for that shit. Um. Anyways, you guys have a good night, and I'll talk to you later. Shut up and sit down.